This podcast is brought to you by the Administrative Committee of the Presbyterian Church in America, promoting the unity, purity, and progress of the church. Learn more about the Administrative Committee and support its work by visiting PCAAC.org. Welcome to Gifts and Graces. All Christians have communion in each other's gifts and graces, says the Westminster Confession. So on this podcast, we help you and your church benefit from the gifts and graces of other parts of Christ's body. Each episode, we bring you a seminar, sermon, or discussion from church leaders across the country and around the world designed to promote the unity, purity, and progress of the church. This is Gifts and Graces. On this episode of Gifts and Graces, we get to hear from Donald Guthrie and John Medlock as they talk about the well-being of PCA pastors. Donald Guthrie is the Executive Director of the Center for Transformational Churches at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. John Medlock is Vice President of the PCA Retirement and Benefits. This seminar was recorded at the 2021 General Assembly in St. Louis. Let's listen as Donald Guthrie and John Medlock explore the well-being of PCA pastors. What we're going to be doing is doing a little bit of live polling while we're here. Uh, so there's some simple questions concerning the seven themes we're going to run through uh, with you today on well-being. And you can start uh, populating. We'll see the results up on the screen as we get going in a minute. Uh, but there, there are questions for you that we uh, asked during the research phase of this project for the last year and a half. We figured. We got a redeemed pandemic somehow, so we did this project for the last year and a half, trying to explore um, what contributes to pastoral well-being. Uh, we we know now more than we've ever known about this topic, probably in the last 20 years, um, and it's good to know, but it's better to act on what we know. Uh, so one of our hopes to bring this to y'all. Uh, is to do a little thinking together about what that means and where it can go. Uh, so the, the questions are, as I said, uh, according to the themes, we're just asking a simple question. How would you think about yourself and how you're doing diving, surviving, and thriving, and how would you rate yourself? So here's the short story. So the first theme was spiritual maturity. How are we all growing in maturity? Most of the folks that took the the global survey, uh, we're somewhere between um, surviving and thriving usually. So you can sort of see yourself in the, in the mix of the mix of the whole. Now the next one is uh, self-care. Uh, again, that's a, that actually that looks about uh, like it relates to the national uh, survey as well. The third one is emotional intelligence. Go ahead and find that one. The next one is uh, related, but it's cultural intelligence. And as you'll hear us say about uh, a little bit more about this one, we're, we're doing better at 
emotional intelligence, but we're not doing so well as a denomination with cultural intelligence. And we'd summarize it like this, we're willing, but not too able. We need, we, we need to learn a lot about how to do engagement with the other, uh, but the good news is we're willing. So even though, <laughs> even though it was a, sort of a mixed bag there, we were actually encouraged to, uh, to hear about that. Next one's healthy marriage and family and overall relationships. Uh, we probably have more data from this uh, area, and if you were in here for Dan Zink's uh, seminar, it's very helpful. Uh, we can only use more, <laughs> basically. Uh, most of our teaching elders told us that good marriages, strong marriages, without them, people would not only not be in ministry, but probably be questioning their lives. Uh, it's very pointed. Uh, very uh, visceral responses about married life and family life. Um, next one's about leadership skills. Leadership and administration, as you know, the biggest surprise to every pastor is how much time they spend in planning and organizing and uh, administration, committee meetings. It surprises everybody in pastoral ministry. Uh, so a lot of data here about uh, how folks are doing with that. And then the last one, is about financial health. Uh, we asked a simple question in the focus group, and the simple question was, uh, uh, who knows and who cares and who helps when it comes to your finances? And we'll, we'll share a little bit more about that with you in, in a little while. Well, uh, my observation, maybe, maybe you can speak to this, but my observation is your quick responses here mirrored much of what we discovered over the course of the year and a half of what uh, got reported back from the nearly 900 folks who filled out the survey and then the 90 people we did uh, in focus groups. Uh, some good news, some challenging news, some things to work on. Uh, that's what we'd like to talk with you about Yeah. the rest of the time. Yeah, John? I think that's right. Um, generally, folks were between thriving and surviving in a lot of areas. So, yeah. yeah. I, I want to say one more thing. I'm sorry. One more thing. Yeah. Um, they mentioned that our, our two previous books, uh, Resilient Ministry and Politics and Ministry, and as I mentioned earlier, there's a, I would say happily, a plethora of resources available now. Duke, Duke University's been doing a thing for now a dozen years on clergy health, clergy health initiative it's called. They published this a couple of years ago, it's called Faithful and Fractured. Uh, Matt Bloom at Notre Dame did the largest study ever done on pastor well-being. Uh, this was published about a year and a half ago. Uh, flourishing in ministry. And then, of course, Friedman's done a number of things uh, on systems and family health and systems health. This is a failure nerve on leadership. There's also the Leader's Journey, second edition last year. Uh, there are just a number of really helpful resources out there now uh, for us all on personal growth, systems growth, church growth, uh, not the church growth that we heard in the 70s, but the different kind of church growth. Um, so good a good time to take advantage of resources. And here's another one in-house that we'll be talking about. So now, please yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the, thanks, Donald. This, this quotation from one of our focus group participants really sums up for us what, what we think is the central question of our research project. Um, and you can read it for yourself, but I'm going to highlight. He says, I want to know, do I have the longevity for this? Do I have the resilience? 
It doesn't seem like most do. Um, I, I, I wonder if, if you're a pastor here or a pastor's wife or you, or you know your pastor well, I wonder if that feels familiar to you. I wonder if that rings true or names something that sort of lives beneath the surface. Um, that sentiment wove its way through our research. And um, that's, a, that's a particularly poignant quote. I mean, so thankfully, as Donald said, we know from years of research now what it takes for pastors to be healthy. We know the kinds of habits and practices that if pastors will do them, they're far more likely to have the, the stamina and the resilience and the emotional resiliency to, to make it through the long haul of pastoral ministry. But what we didn't know is how PCA pastors were doing in those practices and habits. And that's why uh, we started this research. Um, and so here's, here's what we did. We, last summer, we did a survey of almost 900 PCA pastors, and I'm sure a number of you saw that and participated in it, and thank you if you did. But we surveyed our denomination to, to kind of get a baseline and a big, a big um, data set on how our pastors are doing in these various areas. And then we followed up that survey with 16 in-depth focus groups from PCA pastors around the country and even around the world. We had a group of MTW missionaries in Japan that participated with us. And we, the, the, the goal of that was to personalize the data. It's one thing to have numbers, it's another thing to have stories that humanize the numbers. And that was our goal and that's what we did. And the reason that we did this is because, I mean, Donald and his research interests for years has shown, and we at RBI agree, that we take pastoral well-being very seriously. That we, we want to learn what it means to, to help pastors thrive and flourish over the long haul. And in the past, we at RBI have dealt with that primarily in a reactive way. We hear something has, bad has happened and we respond as best we can. But what we want to do and what we're committed to do is learn to be much more proactive, to run ahead of the problems and to equip pastors and churches and presbyteries with the resources so that our pastors can thrive, so that they can avoid the problems that often cause us as RBI to have to come in after the fact and help them. Um, yeah, so today what we want to do is three things. Number one, we want to report some key findings and we're about to start that key findings of our work. Keep in mind that this is the very first uh, presentation of, of the findings of a lot of data. And so this is really 50,000 feet in the air, big, big overview, but we have some key findings. The second thing we want to do is we want you, pastors especially, to be able to find yourself in these findings. We want to encourage you along the way to locate yourself to think of your own story, your own struggles, your own successes. What resonates? What rings true? As I've shared these findings with a number of pastors the past few weeks, almost to a person they say to me, well, duh, that's obvious. And yet I think what we're doing is naming something that's deeply true. So we encourage you to do that. And then finally, at the end, we're going to give you a few practical takeaways. Um, and along the way, we're going to encourage you to to reflect, 
by, by asking you some reflective questions along the way. So um, really quickly, I'm going to survey three big findings that we're going to summarize for you and then hand back off to Donald. Um, so in this research, we have reams of data. We have hundreds of pages of, of stories from pastors. We have answers and questions and accounts and lots and lots of stuff. But we really discerned what we're calling three key ministry tensions. That is, inherent tensions within the life of a pastor that pull them either in the direction of health or in the direction of unhealth. And those three key tensions are these. First, in the, in the area of relationships, it's the tension between being connected and isolated. The second tension is in the area of identity. And that is, do you find your worth and your value rooted in the work of Jesus or in your own work and your own accomplishments? And again, there's a tug, there's a tension there. And then finally, the third tension relates uh, to the issue of systems. And we're going to unpack these in a moment. But um, do you see yourself as an integrated piece of a larger system or do you see yourself as an autonomous, fragmented, and isolated person? So that's, that's kind of an overview. Donald's now going to take over and unpack the first tension for you. So as John said, the, the first one is uh, connection versus isolation. I often say when I do things in any church or Presbyterian or any, any place, I just say something simple like, you connect, you live, you isolate, you die, just so it's memorable in your head and you take that away. Now, the, the challenge is it's, it's hard to connect with folk in your own system uh, it's hard to connect <laughs> with um, with other, for those of you who are married, with other couples, especially in your own system. So there are a lot of challenges to connecting. So, so the real challenge is, how do you do it? And with whom do you do it? And with whom is it safe to do that, to connect? Uh, both uh, professionally, uh, emotionally, relationally, personal couples, and so forth. Uh, obviously, we were made for a relationship. Um, Bloom, we mentioned earlier, the large study from uh, Matt Bloom, says this, positive, caring, nurturing relationships are among the most important conditions for well-being. The need to be loved, accepted, and cared for regarded by researchers as a fundamental uh, human need. Not surprisingly, uh, we found in our study, like many studies have found, that pastors really struggle with isolation. Uh, this is a quote from one of our focus group participants. Uh, there are few more lonely jobs than being a pastor. Uh, sometimes it's a lack of safety that can amplify the loneliness. It's a great privilege, but I don't think we ever really do enough business with the loneliness of it. Uh, the more senior leader you become, the more isolated and lonely you get as well. So if you remember the time when you were a starting out assistant pastor, those of you who are pastors, and you actually remember when you had friends, um, if you're a senior pastor of a larger system right now, it's probably more challenging to have connections. Another thing we've discovered. Here's some uh, stats. For pastors, 38% struggle to find friends and 50% uh, reported not really getting much care from their own church uh, when it came to uh, relationships. A couple more things about couples. Uh, 
Good news, like I mentioned earlier, 86% re report very close relationships, very supportive relationships with spouses, uh, but 64% have a real challenging time being friends with other couples. Now, it's already hard and a challenge, as those of you who are married know, to have other couple friends. So if you, if you add pastoral ministry on top of that, it's even more challenging. We thought this, these two stats right here at the bottom were two of the, of, the, of the most key findings from the whole study. I don't know that we were surprised, but like you said earlier, uh, like John said earlier, it's now we know. Now we know a bit more about uh, where we are and who we are. Well, here's some stories uh, on this side of the slide. Um, relationships are vital so we can process stuff. These are quotes from our participants. Relationships are venues for conversations without fear. When we have tried to have relationships in the church, it almost always comes back to bite us. My friend will call me on my stuff consistently. As a couple, we feel very alone. And then finally, we have to decide if we're fully human and keep pressing for friends or if it's safer to stay away from people. And it's always a decision that has to be made. It's almost day to day, some of the participants reported. It's a challenge for both the pastor, but also the pastor's spouse, also the pastor's family. So it, it kind of radiates through the whole uh, through the whole group, not just the pastor uh, himself, as you can imagine. Well, we also noticed we also noticed this tension throughout all seven themes. I'm just going to pick two real quickly and say something about them. The first one, as I mentioned earlier, uh, cultural intelligence. We're willing, but not very able, according to the data. Uh, what is cultural intelligence anyway? It's reaching across the chasm of cultural difference in ways that are loving and respectful, oftentimes to learn from the other. And then bringing that back into our own lives, our own ministries, our own walks with the Lord so that we understand what the Lord's doing around his world, for example. Well, our findings indicate that 55% report seldom incorporating any kind of cultural perspectives in any sort of ministry of the church, for example. Now, it doesn't mean we're not willing, like I keep saying. We're willing and we realize we have a deficit there, but we're really really kind of at a, uh, a point of decision about what we're gonna do with this. The second area I wanna just make a quick mention of is that is in leadership and in relationships. And that's specifically the notion, and I'm sure some of you have heard this this distinction between allies and confidants that Heifetz and Linsky from Harvard have pointed out to us. Allies and confidants, you have lots of allies, you need lots of allies, you have allies in your systems. Um, you only have a few confidants. And, and the confidants are often only able to be realized outside of one system. Uh, here, here's the rub, if you mistake if you mistake an ally for a confidant, the Southern Baptists have more research on this than we'll ever be able to read. It's almost, an, it's almost a guarantee to be invited to leave the church. Almost a guarantee. It's almost a forced exit waiting to happen. Because you, you confide in someone 
that can't bear oftentimes your doubt, your pain, they, they have to go tell somebody. And so they do, and, and in about 10 minutes, you don't believe in Jesus. So the people of God just say, what in the world's happening with our pastor? And all you did was, was confide in someone that just couldn't take the confidence. So relationships run through leadership and through marriage and through all the other themes that we've... Uh, it's no surprise, because obviously relationships are, are such a big part of who we are as people. But there's some key things that we discovered and we have confirmed through previous research uh, that came back. And this is one of the big ones. So, as we said at the beginning, just take a second, just take 30 seconds and, and locate yourself here. Like, where are you in these things, in relationships? Who are your confidants? Who are your allies? Who can you have conversations with in places of safety? Who can, who can confide in you and who can you confide in? Who, with whom can you have a conversation? And then the last one is, is who can you help? So we don't all just turn into navel gazers here, but who, who can you reach out to and perhaps be a listening ear? Maybe even during this week. Maybe even during this week. We're just going to keep asking these three questions as you kind of process your own participation, your own contribution, where, where you are uh, in the midst of these things. John's going to talk about the second tension of identity now. Yeah, thanks, Donald. And b before I do a couple of things, I see a number of you taking pictures of the slides. I'm happy to share the slide deck if anybody wants it. Um, you, can, you can email me, and I, I can give you my email address at the end. Happy to share the slide deck. But also, uh, we've published a little booklet uh, that has all of these statistics and all of these quotations, actually much fuller quote, quotations in it. And um, Bart has gone to get a box, and we're just going to have them here available. If you want one of these at the end of our time, you're more than welcome to get one. So if you want the slide deck, happy to share it with you. And we got a, we got a little book. So um, yeah, so the second tension is the tension of identity. Um, that is, where do you find your, your worth as a person? Where do you find your dignity? How do you understand who you are? Um, this tension names a question that if pastors are honest, I suspect every single one of us struggle with this. And that is, do you ground your worth and dignity and identity as a person in the work of Jesus that is secure and unfailing? Or if you're honest, do you ground it in your own work, your own accomplishments, whether it's um, you know, the num attendance numbers or the finance numbers of your church, or how many new conversions you have, or something else. That's the tension. Um, once again, we keep referring to, to Matt Bloom because his research is so important. One of his, one of his observations is this, that a people with a secure and positive identity experience greater well-being, stronger resilience, closer relationships, better marriages, and are better leaders and colleagues. Now, that's his words, not ours, but he, you, did you hear he was tripping all over our seven themes that relate to pastoral flourishing? Marriage and leadership and relationships and, and all, all of that stuff. So, um, you know, identity is really important. 
Now, we know that God has given us everything we need in Christ for a secure identity. Jesus lived and died and rose from the dead and ascended to heaven for you and me to be eternally secure with the Father. But we also know that after the fall, all things are broken, including that. And our identity feels fragile and contingent. And one of our findings is that pastors are under a constant pressure to build an identity out of their work, out of the things that they do, out of the things that they accomplish. This is an insight from from Resilient Ministry, a book that if you haven't read, you should immediately go downstairs and purchase and read. Um, So some research from about 10 years ago that Donald and, and, and Bob Burns and Tasha Chapman did But the observation is this, that most people live in three basic domains, the domain of family and friends, the domain of work, and the domain of church or your spiritual relationships. And those overlap a little bit, but they're they're distinct enough that that they're different. And so if you've got problems at work, you can go to church and process it with someone. If you've got problems with your family, you know, your friends at work might be able to, to give you some insight or help you. In fact, see, see what I mean? But the, the, one of the things that really Resilient Ministry observed is that for pastors, all of these things come together and it's like trying to sit on a one-legged stool. Because family and relationships and work and church are all the same thing. And so if you're having problems at work, you can't go to church and talk about it. They're your congregation. And if you're having problems with your family, what are the people at church going to think? So it's a one-legged stool. And the pastoral identity just becomes all-encompassing. Now, here's how it plays out. Being a pastor is not just what I do. It is very much who I am. 24-7-365. Never a minute off. You're always the pastor. A number of our focus group participants used the the image of being able to just take off the pastor hat. They just want a place where they cannot be the pastor, and they don't have it. And that's an identity issue. Um, Now, here's, I agree with Donald, the marriage statistics he shared earlier are one of our key findings. This to me is the other key statistic that really, in a way, kind of shocked me that we found. Um, And that is that 70% of our pastors report that the demands of ministry impede their own spiritual growth. Now, I want to let, let that sink in for a minute. Pastors whose job it is to lead a congregation to spiritual maturity report that doing that job damages their own spiritual maturity. I was joking around, I did a shorter version of this yesterday and was joking around that um, that's the equivalent of an accountant saying that following the generally accepted accounting principles keeps them from balancing their own checkbook. And it, because on paper it doesn't make sense 
How does being a pastor impede your spiritual maturity? That's what you're paid to do. You're paid to pray and to read and to learn the Bible and to reflect on, on the gospel and how it applies and to do discipleship. Like, that's what you do. Well, the answer is, it's the identity issue. It's that pastors are feeling the tug of performance. And they're turning the things that should be the means of grace into tools to build up their own self-worth. That's, a, that's an enormously significant finding, in my opinion. Um, and that, you know, friends, that warrants serious reflection. If, if, and I, I would just say this, if you're a pastor here and you haven't felt that, I would be very surprised. I, I remember feeling it all the time. Looking at the attendance to see if it's hanging in there with the average. Constantly watching the money. Fearful to have that hard conversation with someone because you're worried about who you might offend. I think this really warrants reflection. It warrants honest conversations. It warrants um, probably repentance. Here's some stories, some more quotations from our, from our focus group. Um, kind of getting at the answer to the question, why? Why do pastors feel this way? Um, sometimes the pressure comes from the outside. It comes from the system itself. So this pastor said, people in my church see me only as a pastor. Right? That's the church, looking at the pastor, not letting him be anything else. Or the, this other pastor said this, the church has set unreachable expectations. It's terrifying to advocate for himself, to try to set boundaries, to even talk about job assessment standards. They want him to be everything all the time to all people. But our pastors were also honest and told us that sometimes the pressure comes from within. Sometimes it's pride. He says pride causes us to hide. Um, that we're not keeping up, not able to accomplish everything, don't want to ask for help, don't want to look like a failure. Like, that's ouch, right? That's awfully close to home for me. Sometimes it's the idol of performance. Sometimes it's, um, you know, fear. But this, this last pastor sums it up. He says, there's a constant struggle to justify my existence. A constant fear that you're not doing enough. At the extreme, uh, Bloom, again, in his research, talks about a one-dimensional pastoral identity. He tells of a minister that was so absorbed in his job that even his wife called him Pastor Joe. It did not go well for him. But he's a cautionary tale for all of us, isn't he? I remember a pastor that I had years ago, a guy who was really influential in my life, one Sunday morning, this was a long time ago before I even went to seminary, walking on the platform of the church and walking out and saying, I'm here to confess to you that I've been having an affair. And it's with the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. And I'm taking a month sabbatical so that I can decompress from being all consumed by my activities with this church. That's what he's getting at. 
So once again, encourage you to stop, to pause for reflection. Oops. There we go. Same questions. Locate yourself. Where do you see yourself in this? Where does it feel familiar? Maybe we named something that you feel, but, but it was inchoate up until now. Maybe, um, maybe we said something that you realize, okay, I need to talk to someone. If that's the case, have that conversation. Who do you need to talk to? Who do you need to share this with? Maybe it's sharing a burden. Maybe it's confessing a sin. Maybe it's asking for help. And then finally, um, friends, this is so common among pastors. I know you know someone who struggles with this. I guarantee it. Be an ally. Help someone. I'm going to hand back over to Donald now. Okay, third tension is uh, systems. So this is an echo of the first one that was more personal, isolation connection. This is a system being fragmented or integrated. So th- this, this scales up and it scales down, <coughs> this tension. Now, I think you also see, uh, maybe already, that those who reported being more isolated also reported being more in conflict with where their identity was found, were also more concerned about their fragmented system. Make sense? If, if I'm isolated, I struggle more with my identity in Christ, my security in Christ, and I struggle more with my place in my own system. Conversely, those who were more connected, more known, uh, more, uh, more secure in their identity in Christ, also, at least we're striving and learning and doing something about having a more integrated system. So, so systems could be old hat to you, and it could be kind of a new gig for some of you. So let me just do four summary uh, themes from systems, just to, just to kind of make everyone aware in case you aren't and remind you in case you are. The first thing is the systems themselves. What in the world are systems? Well, Oops. think about um, think about a wind chime, and think about how if you touch any part of a wind chime, it touches everything else. Think about a mobile in a baby's crib, and if you touch any part of it, everything else moves. You get the visual. That's what our churches are like. If if you think about the new carpet, somehow it involves the youth ministry. And if you think about the youth ministry, somehow it involves the women's Bible study. And somehow that incorporates into the sermon next week, and then that gets back to the session. And then your head just keeps spinning around, doesn't it? Well, that's systems. Like, welcome to the system. It's the emotional connections. It's the systems that we all survive in and thrive in and sometimes dive in. And it affects, as you can see, the behaviors and emotions of others. There's no such thing as an island with any of it. There's no such thing. You're tethered to other people, whether or not you feel that way or not. So am I. The second uh, second theme is anxiety. (coughs) Excuse me. Anxiety. Anxiety is just simply an emotional response to a sense of threat. Anxiety is healthy when there's a real threat. 
If the tsunami is coming, running is a good response. But constantly running, to put it this way, constantly running is not a good response. In fact, it's unhealthy. It's unhealthy. It begins to control you. One of the most uh, spectacular things that the leader's journey talks about is the need for the leader in any given room, sometimes it's the pastor, to be the calm presence in an anxious system. Now, one of the hardest questions to ask ourselves is, what am I doing to contribute to the anxiety in my system? Because I know what you're doing, and I know what you're doing, and I know what you're doing, but what am I doing? How do I start with myself and ask myself that question about what am I contributing? And also, what am I contributing to calm the system? Those are very good systems questions to ask about anxiety. Third theme is individuality and togetherness. It's, it's the Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12. Amazing uh, brilliance of the Lord that each one of us has been made just as he wanted us to be, 1 Corinthians 12, 28. Just as he wanted us to be so we contribute and we receive in the system. We found out a long time ago in our research that led to Resilient Ministry that the healthy pastors welcome the body of Christ. I tell students all the time at Trinity and MDiv classes that some of you will come to despise the very people you will call to serve. And they look at me like, oh, that won't happen to me. And I'm just saying, you have my number, you call me when it happens. I just can't imagine that happening. Could you have imagined that happening, dear pastor? If it weren't for these blankety-blank people here, I could get some work done. Well, thanks be to God, he's made the body of Christ. (laughs) So it goes above and beyond us. The fourth theme is something called differentiation. Differentiation. And that's simply the ability to stay connected to others while not allowing them to control you and your emotions and vice versa. That's actually being okay and agreeing with God about how you're made and how other people are made. That comes out so often, as you know, in marriage, when for the first who knows how many years of your married life, you spend so much energy trying to make the person like you. Because if one of you is good, two of you would be better. Right? Wrong. Of course not. Your strength is that you're, 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 compliment, you're complimenting each other. That's obviously the strength of marriage and the strength of relationships. So those are four key ideas when it comes to systems that we heard over and over again uh, our TEs both struggle with and also celebrate. There's actually some good news in some of these findings. Here's a a, a pastor talking about grasping the reality of being in an anxious system. I spent five years in this chronically anxious system and realized if I didn't learn how to function in an emotionally healthy way, I was not going to be a pastor anymore. I was not going to be a pastor anymore. Well, like I said, thankfully, our pastors have reported some promising levels of competence in these areas. For example, here's some stats. Over 60% of our pastors are self-reporting some good processing in their emotions. We were really encouraged to hear, for example, how many regularly are seeing counselors themselves, their spouses, their families. They're not, we're not apparently, praise the Lord, I would say, we're not apparently 
taking that for granted anymore, and that's somebody else's issue. We're getting the help that we need ourselves. 80% um, report a good grasp of attending to the emotions of others and, and working at being good listeners. 70% are able to remain calm when others express calm, uh, sorry, strong emotions, which obviously when it comes to conflict uh, is quite necessary. Here's some stories. There's these stories reflect the hard-won skills when it comes to learning how to work and operate in a healthy way in systems. And it's a good thing we have a lifetime to work on this because we all need it. Learning emotional intelligence comes through conflict. Learning systems comes through conflict. It took a relational crisis to make me aware of emotional intelligence. I was over-identifying with some and getting sucked in and not setting up boundaries, they said. Second, it's this iterative process. So I go through conflict and I reflect and I learn and then I'm on to the next, hopefully better equipped to deal with the conflict. The other two places we found most of our research indicating great strength is that we've mentioned earlier is our marriages and those of us who are in cohort groups. Our marriages and those of us who are in cohort groups. If you're not in a cohort group, come up and talk to us about that. That is one of the ways that it will go well with you. So again, one last time, locate yourself. Who will you talk to and have a conversation? And who can you help? We just have a couple more things to talk about. John and I are going to kind of tag team this last uh, couple of slides here when we talk about from the pastor's standpoint in terms of takeaways, and also I'm a ruling elder, so we're going to talk about pastors and ruling elders together. Go yeah, ahead. so thinking about taking it home, what are some takeaways? Well, are you a pastor or a pastor's wife? Then here's some things we would encourage you to consider. First, consider the scriptures, and we haven't talked about much scripture in our presentation, but in our in our booklet, we, we cite and link um, a lot of this to Scripture. So consider the Scriptures. How do they challenge you? How do they encourage you? How do they open your eyes to a need that you hadn't thought that you had before? Secondly, um, who are your conversation partners? Who do you need to be talking with? Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your session. Or your personnel committee. Maybe it's a mentor, someone outside your system who can give you wisdom to understand and have perspective on things. Uh, next, what are the critical topics? What do you need to be talking about? Um, this is where we're asking, where, do, where does this seminar become real to you? Where do our findings really land in your life? Maybe it's prayer. Maybe it's struggles with your finance. Maybe one of the three tensions that we said really hit home and you're like, yeah, I'm in that right now. What do you need to be talking about? And then finally, what are the critical resources that you can bring to bear uh, that you and your conversation partners can use? Uh, maybe it's good, good, good books or research materials. Maybe it's um, advice from an outside counselor. Um, maybe it's help from an agency like RBI to step in and give you perspective or advice. But what, what resources do you have to bring to bear? Encourage you to process these now and to, to kind of keep chewing on these uh, throughout the week. And then for those of you who might be ministry leaders or ruling elders, uh, again, search the scriptures. 
Uh, secondly, engage your pastor. Pray with them, for them. Come alongside them. Ask, but don't pry. Ask, but don't pry. Remain available to them. Uh, thirdly, think systems. To whatever extent you're already an expert, great. Help somebody else. To whatever extent this is new to you, uh, lots of resources available. And then finally, advocate for best practices, particularly when it comes to generosity and finances. Uh, we're encouraged that many of our pastors have already taken advantage of RBI uh, personnel and materials for planning. Uh, but when we ask them the question I mentioned earlier about who knows and who cares and who helps, uh, it's often Uncle Joe. So praise God for Uncle Joe, truly. Uh, and praise God for RBI and everything in between, everybody in between. Uh, but it's not, it's not as much, uh, I, I would say sadly, from my standpoint as a ruling elder, it's not as much the session moving toward our pastors to say, how can we help? How can we come alongside? So we need, we need to get up to speed on that one. Uh, finally, uh, as we close, there's a... Uh, can you see this? Uh, is that a URL? Uh, no, that's in the poll. That's in the poll we were all using. Yeah. Sorry. If you've already logged into the first poll, this one should now be active on your phone. So, so there are more resources coming from RBI. This is, as we've said, sort of our first run out uh, of, of, uh, of the findings from the study. Uh, but more are coming. So fill out your email, submit that. But then, but then the question we'd like to ask you, if you just take a moment is what should we talk about from your experience? What should we emphasize? Uh, both RBI folk are going to be out all over the place. Um, Ed's going to talk about that, I think, in your, in the, on the floor. Uh, go, to their, go to the booth. Lots of resources. We have the booklet now published. And when these guys get out on the road, they're going to be, thank goodness, thank God, they're going to be talking about these things with folks um, all over as they seek to have uh, anticipatory care, as well as the responsive care they've always provided so well for us. So John and I are already, already uh, I think we're two or three Presbyteries already. Yeah, three. Uh, in the next couple of, next couple of months. Um, so help us, help us by saying, well, whatever you do, you make sure you say this. Because uh, in my experience, this is challenging or this is a help or whatever. We really, really uh, value your input uh, in that way. So thanks for that. Yeah, just to, and this last slide is up here just as a reminder that this research was done under the auspices of the Ministerial Relief Arm of RBI. Ministerial Relief is a is the the um, the Ministry of Compassion and Care to to pastors and their their wives and widows and their families and other ministry workers. And so we just encourage you to to um, to consider supporting Ministerial Relief. I um, encourage you to, to urge your churches to participate with ministerial relief as we, as we raise the funds to continue to help pastors, but also to develop out some, some of these things that we've, that we've talked about today so that we can equip our, um, our sessions and our pastors and our presbyteries so that our pastors are, are doing the things that we know will bring them help. Um, yeah, and if you're interested in, in talking more about that, you can talk to me or also Chris Serbach um, is back there right, waving her hand there in the blue shirt. Um, she's our director of philanthropic giving, and she'll be happy to help you on, and to also equip you 
with what we can do to help you do that. So yeah, before, and we, we may have time for questions. One more thing I forgot to, to mention. We are just about to take this same research project and run it through a, um, a, a, a number of women in ministry in the PCA. So we're gonna, we're gonna do the survey and then we're gonna follow up with focus groups with a group of ministry women and do our best to give these, um, these folks who often don't have a voice, a voice into this kind of conversation. And so at some point we're gonna be reporting on that as well and I'm really anxious to, for the, to hear what the, the women. I think, I think we've already, what, we're over 330 sent out already? So if you have other email addresses of vocationally employed women in the PCA, uh, let us know, because we want them to get this survey too. But 330, that's a pretty good start, don't you think? Never been done before, so we're hoping that that will uh, lift up our sisters as well as uh, give us some good info to go on too. Thank you very much. hear more talks like this by subscribing to the Gifts and Graces podcast. You can also hear more content like this by attending a seminar at General Assembly. They are free and open to the public. Find out times and locations by visiting pcaga.org. Thanks for listening to Gifts and Graces.